0: This week on Writers Inc.
1: And I asked the editor, I'm like, do you mind if you just throw me the ball again? And I take another swing from scratch. And she was like, no, go ahead. And I was like, well, there's my answer.
0: Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts, It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's Inc. All right,
2: JD. I am so excited for our guest today. Uh, I'm excited for all of our guests, but this is a guy who I've interviewed a few times uh, going back a number of years before before the book came out. Uh, It's Josh Mallerman. Yeah,
3: Josh is great. Um, He's, he's hard to explain if you've never heard Josh speak before. (laughs) It's kind of like trying to lasso a tornado and hold on. Um, I mean, if if there was a way to bottle the energy coming out of this guy, um, you could make a fortune. Um, But he's, he's, yeah, he's so entertaining. And he's, he's, you know i don't want to use the term scatterbrain because that that's not exactly right but like his his brain is jumping around to so many different things all at the same time um and it's amazing to listen to because he's got such a handle on all these different things um and i mean his productivity is is ridiculous um but just hearing you know about bird box and, the, and that story is is a lot of fun
2: yeah it really is and he's he's multi talented uh he's in a great band called the high strong uh they've been playing up in michigan for a long time and uh and it was it was so exciting to kind of hear him talk and he's got a very humble manner about him too you know hearing him talk about the the debut of the film and being in LA at the, at man's chinese theater for that and, and sort of all the spectacle and yet this is a guy that still is you know outside of detroit and he's he's still like he's pretty grounded and uh, i i just thoroughly enjoyed talking to him he's a real pro
3: yeah absolutely um and, and i i think he likes that i mean he's got a lot of family there he grew up in that area i i, I don't see him ever leaving Um, but I think he just bought a house up there, which is, which is really cool. He finally settled down and and put some roots in.
2: Yeah. Great. So we're going to, uh, we're going to listen to the interview with Josh. And then when we come out on the other side, we'll talk about some great takeaways from the conversation. All right, here we go. All right. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, man. Uh, I was, I was thinking, you know, last time you and I talked, it was right before the premiere of, of Bird Box. Oh yeah. Right. So yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd love to kind of know, like, you know, now that you've got some distance from it and, you know, kind of relished in it, what was that
1: like? Oh, my God. I mean, like, we we felt or we thought that the, the night the movie came out, that that would be, like, not the end of it, but that was, like, the peak moment or something, you know? Like, yeah, we, right. I mean, we even almost considered that the week that the preview came out to be some sort of, like, like, this is the peak moment. Like, like, oh my God, it's out, you know. Image is from it, that kind of thing. Whew. So we had no idea what was to come from that. I mean, I don't, I don't think Sandra Bullock had any idea what was to come from that. <laughs> and, but I'll tell you real fast. I mean, I guess why not? Here we are on this, yeah, you know, please. all the time the world we want. All right. But when we, um, I was so nervous for the actual premiere itself. So we went to L.A., because, like, think about it, man. Like, you're going to, you know, you're in your hotel room. You're thinking, like, am I going to meet? Like, am I going to hang out with Sandra Bullock? Am I going to meet, like, you know, all these people? And, you know, you just don't know what to expect, right? And Allison was, like, getting ready in the hotel room. And I'm I'm just literally standing there just, like, staring at the ground. Like, like I couldn't move. I didn't know what to do. I was, like, I didn't want to watch TV. I didn't want to go downstairs. I didn't want to, like, I didn't know what to do with myself. So, finally, we we get there. And, in all, and just like most thing, things in life, the second you get there, you feel a little better, right? Because I think part of the anxiety with most things are like, even riding an airplane, is like you're imagining it differently than it actually is, right? And the second you're on the plane, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, let, let's go. Now we're here, right? So when we got there, it felt a little better. But then, um, so each of us were, each of us, meaning like me and the actors, were each given a sort of a, um, what would you call that, like an usher or something, a uh, handler,
2: <laughs> yeah the handler
1: nice yeah and this woman came up and she was like hey i'm gonna take care of you and i was like okay and she's like follow me and i was like where and then something happened where allison said that she was going downstairs for whatever reason like to the to the green room well i set her bag down whatever it was and i was like oh, i'm gonna stay up here you know and my lawyer was with me and he was like i, I think you want to go down there also And I was like, I I, I don't know, whatever, you know. And to get there, you got to go. There's the uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater. And then there's this alley. You go through the side door, and then there's this, like, alley, just brick alley. Door leads down these wooden stairs with a metal railing. You know, just like any band room you've ever been in or heard of in your life. It's not nothing spectacular. at like, the biggest, you know, most famous movie theater in L.A., right? So I'm like, okay. And I go downstairs. And when I got down there, um, the whole, like, cast and crew and everyone were, like, down there in that room. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, here we go. Now we're going. And it was amazing. You know, they they interviewed each of us. It was um, during – there was some sort of, like – it wasn't the fire of two years ago, but there was another fire going on when we were there. Uh, Yeah, wildfire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so they didn't want to do the whole um, – I guess you would say, you know – pageantry of the red carpet like there's everything's burning but look how beautiful we are right (laughs) so they so instead it was in this green room with like sort of a backdrop and it was a little more solemn and you answered questions and this kind of thing meanwhile though i'm in this room with all these like actors and and like the producers and all this and i was like what is going on right now and this is you know again this is the premiere and then they told us that the um one of the uh producers was going to introduce everyone involved so the screenwriter the author the um every star you know and, and this kind of thing we're all going to walk in front of the theater with, with this full house of all these people right and i'm just like wait what do i have to do <laughs> like i'm like, like do you have a diaper like can i wear a diaper please <laughs> And and then they were like, and we're gonna start with the author, and I'm like, oh, come on, dude. They gonna start I'm with you. <laughs> like, the low man on the totem pole is as goes the movie, you know. Like, he like, should go first. We'll work our way up to Sandra Book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, what? And then, um, yeah. So then they called us out one by one, and dude, I was sitting here. I was sitting here. There was like an empty seat here, an aisle, and then Sandra Book was right there. And I was like, this is nuts, man. I'm watching like. I'm watching this woman right here, this super famous, great actress playing Mallory on this screen, this giant screen in this famous theater. It was, it was absolutely magnificent, man. Oh, that and is then, a beautiful story. Like, it was, and then and the after party was like out of this world, you know. I didn't even know if like who was there or not. There were so many people, and there was a rowboat in us. I mean, it was very, <laughs> it was very Los Angeles. There was a rowboat like in a swimming pool. There was. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, all the food that the survivors might have eaten in the movie were, like, on, like, tables, and and there were, like, fake uh, – or images of birds flying all over, crazy. Oh, wow. But it was, like – yeah, it was, it was just – the whole thing was, like, what is going on right now? This is just magical moment, right? Yeah. Later, the movie comes out, and that night, we did a screening at, like, what used to be, like, a Ford showroom. Like, so it's, like, a concrete –
2: yeah, you were going to rent it out or something you were talking yep. about, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. We did. Yep, that was it. And it was like, fit like 70 people or 50, something like that. And we just invited some friends. We watched it. I, we thanked them. And then Alice and I were like, wow, that's it. The movie's out. And, that, and by then we'd seen it three times, actually. And we drove north to go see Allison's family. It takes about 10 hours normally to, er, well, we were going to Marquette, so seven and a half hours normally. There was this crazy storm, blah, blah, blah. We get to Marquette at like 5 a.m. We're like, oh, my God. You know, we show the movie the night before we leave, blah, blah, blah. And then we go to bed. And when I woke up, my phone was like insane. And I was like, what's going going on? Right? Oh, geez, Allison, this is – wait, this movie is like getting more attention than I think we thought – wait, a lot more attention. Wait, what's going on right now? And it just kept getting boom, 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 boom. And I almost feel like it was like a blessing that I was – that we were – in the UK, yeah, uh, you know what I mean. We yeah. were kind. It's not the middle of nowhere, but far from home. Sure. And it was just kind of like if I if we wanted to just like sort of be like, what is going on? Like you know, like felt like you're standing in a wind tunnel, dude. You know? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was really, really something else, man. And it just kept ballooning and ballooning, and then and then as a, almost like a perfect bookend, we're driving back home again. It's a storm now, an ice storm, and we are stopped. Because of this, at one point, it's dark. It's icy. But and I, my, I'm talking on the phone with my um, agent about something else, and she, and then she suddenly like kind of squeals, and she's like, "I just got an email that Bird Box is on the New York Times bestseller list." And I was like, "Oh my god, what happened, man?" When I mean, this book came out in 2014, you know, it was optioned for film in 2013. It was picked up for publication 2012. I rewrote it in, like, a huge way in 2012 and 2010. I did two giant rewrites. And I wrote The Rough Draft in 06. So so, so like, da, 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 up to that moment, you know, like 13 years later, to be with this, you know, woman, Mallory, and and, and these two kids for 13 years. And, you know, I, and I love them. I love them. And I love, like, all these characters, but I just... I, sometimes I feel like I'm almost like can look at look to Mallory and be like can you believe this
0: is happening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> man yeah.
2: and, and I don't I you know Netflix is pretty tight-lipped about some of their data but it, it also seemed to be one of the one of the hottest debut feature films ever on the platform
1: yeah yep it, it, it was and it still is and and it's just yeah it's crazy and and it seemed like there was some not I don't know how to say this without it sounding wrong, but it seemed to be some tonal shift after that, not meaning that everyone's calling you like, what else you got? But there was a shift in like, oh, wait a minute, this weird idea of his worked." Like maybe what, out, what other weird ideas might this guy have? And then I already, me and my manager, Ryan, we've already had a gazillion meetings and we had meetings planned and all this other stuff. So when, when Bird Box happened, it wasn't that it like, it wasn't that it like made you famous or something, but I think that it did tell maybe other producers like, hey, between, you know, this is a weird idea and you got Midsommar and It Follows and Hereditary and, and this whole sort of just, I don't know, not quite standard horror, not meaning, not meaning that it's better or whatever, but just kind of more far out ideas or something. Um, and I think that it did something for that. And, and that eventually led to like the House of the Head on Creepshow and, and I don't know. And then now here we are now and there's other leads going on right now. So it, did it open doors and did it do that? I think so. But not in a, it's not like I'm like driving a Ferrari. <laughs> not that kind of door. It, like, it open doors like, huh, maybe, well, tell us, tell us what other ideas you have. Maybe, maybe something else will do. And that is like, Just about all any of us could ask for, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So so tell me a little bit about how that has uh, changed your approach to the business of writing. Um, or, Or has it, you know, just sort of having those opportunities or having that experience, has that changed the way you approach running your quote unquote business?
1: Well, on the, so Ryan and I, we met 11 years ago. Ryan, my man I'm just gonna call him Ryan for now He's my manager. He's my age. He's the greatest dude. If he was here, you'd freaking love him. Oh oh he oh Ryan. Ryan, <laughs> did you want to tell him the story?
2: It looks just like him.
1: We met eleven years ago. Yes, we did. We met it does kind of look like no. <laughs> <laughs> we met eleven <laughs> We met eleven years ago and um, you know, he's always had just like a God, almost like a like a, a sense of what would work and what wouldn't. Not not meaning that you know he would say don't write this; it's not going to work. Nothing like that. But I'm writing th- you know two three novels a year and a bunch of short stories, and with every one of them, I'm sending them to him. And and there's just certain ones he'd be like, oh this oh you, uh, hey what what are you what what are you doing with this one? What are you doing with this one? You know. And then so he sort of has always always been in charge of like or always been like the flame behind the film and TV side. OK. And so but now him and I are since post Bird Box, him and I are producing um, every project that has happened since then t- together on it as well. So I want to give you an example, but like I I'll just put it this way. What, a number of the books have been optioned. Well, let's just take Black Man Wheel because that, that news is out. Black Man Wheel has been um, optioned and the script is being written right now and Ryan and I are producers on it. And so to say, you know, with Bird Box, I literally did not have one, one say, nothing. I mean, they were wonderful with me. They threw me out there. I saw storyboards. We were on set. We talked about things. But ultimately, like, you know, if I was, in, it didn't matter if I was into it or not. And that's fine. I, I'm 100% fine with that. But now I am. If I, I am as involved as I want to be. And it's kind of, it's cool. Like I'm talking to the screenwriter of Black Man Will and he's really interesting and he's really good. And like the script is really, uh, has like a ton of energy and I'm not like being Mr. Humble. I actually kind of think it's better than the book. I just think that it, I think that it has more like, I'm like, I'm like Barnett, I think you figured something out that I wasn't able to figure out. There's, there's like a lot, there's a lifeblood here and he's a younger guy and he's, Really energized about it, and I'm like, "This is really good, dude." But to play a part in that way at all is brand new to me. So to answer how the business side has changed, well, Ryan and I now have a production company that we call Spin a Black Yarn. Um, I—that's the name of—we um, got the name from. It's a collection of uh, short stories of mine that hasn't come out yet called Spin a Black Yarn. Ryan and I call our production company Spin a Black Yarn, but we're not only working with my stuff. We also um, are working with John Skip on something and he just wrote a script for that is really good. We're working with Jonathan Jans, um, Laura Lee Barr and like some other people. So there is something, something starting on that side. Where will it go? And, and also maybe a better question is how business involved do I actually want to be? It's just not my natural state. Like, some of the phone calls, I, I, uh, I'm I almost just kind of just silent the whole time while the other producers and Ryan are starting to talk because I'm just like, I, it's just not really my style to be like, it's more my style, let's say John Skip, it's more my style for him to finish the script, give it to us, I read it, and then I like call John and say like, dude, my God, I love this part, maybe, you know, maybe this was this, maybe this was this, it, that's just more my style rather than from the start, like, like are we aiming for a commercial or are we aiming for... Um, artistic, and that's just not really my style to even consider those things. So I feel like my role so far in this has come like, right, like after the script is written or after there's something to like a work of a work to actually talk about rest the, the aim or something like that.
2: Got Yeah. Has there been some skill transfer from your, from your life as a musician into or that business into this business or are they very different?
1: Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, and this is like no secret that I'm it's not like I'm hiding this from anyone involved. I now that I am a producer on a few of these, I'm like, maybe me and my boys can do the soundtrack for this one. <laughs> maybe like I, you know, me and me and Allison, Allison just walked in the room wearing well, seemingly nothing. Are you going to yoga or something? like That um, <laughs> hello, hi. She I, says hello.
3: Hi.
0: hi. She's not <laughs> naked. I'm looking for a checkbook actually.
1: Oh. But, now. Oh. You just need some money in the middle of this Yeah, <laughs> It's perfect. This is all about the business. It was like insane. We're talking about the business side of things. I'm like, nothing has changed. <laughs> Allison walks in, where's the checkbook? She's like writing checks next to me. <laughs> <laughs> um hold on, It's I actually just
3: need the
1: writing number. Okay. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> nothing has changed <laughs> um. <laughs> okay so yeah so there's no secret on that side like it's a little nerve wracking okay <clears throat> when Bird Box was first option um, Andy Machete was uh, was signed on to be the director he did It and It too and Mama at the time he had only done Mama though and I'm, I met up with him twice um at the same restaurant, which is bizarre, uh, for lunch to talk about things. And at one point he said, hey, would you be interested in doing the soundtrack? And then he was talking about Proverter Box. Okay. And I was like, oh, oh, geez. Um, who are you thinking of right now? And then he told me that he was thinking of Mika Levy, who did, I, I, this is not planned at all. <laughs> she. This is one of my favorite horror soundtracks ever, Under the Skin. Oh, yeah so good and i was like uh no 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 no, no. good uh, work get her and then i was like if you can't get her I, I mean yeah maybe right why but it's kind of struck me like do you want that responsibility because like, we all really know how effective i mean every one of your favorite horror movies has a great soundtrack right like almost everyone you know what i mean like ninety nine out of a hundred. Maybe there's one where you're like, eh, I don't like the soundtrack in uh, you know, the changeling or something. I don't know. But almost all of them have like like holy shit, their own like style or their own musical theme or whatever. So do you want to have that on you? Mm. And there's a you know, when I met Andy Machete, I would, my answer to that ultimately I think would have been no. And right now I'm beginning to think, yeah, let's 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 try oh. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's, that's, I could see the skill transference. I mean, I could see a lot of similarities between what you have to deal with as a, a performing musician and and a writer. Now sort of where you're in that sort of hybrid space, I could see you want, wanting to take you know more of those opportunities.
1: Well, it's also interesting what you literally just said because it does feel a little... Like I'm writing Mallory right now and it does feel like more of even the writing of the book itself is a performance. Right? Because you know that it's not like I'm um, what's the right phrase? It's not like it's just coming out of the blue, the characters, the story, the idea, or whatever. These, this book will be going on a stage where it's already understood, all of Bird Box is already understood. And there's, I guess that would mean there's probably expectations. I guess that would mean that there's like hopes that I hope this happens. And I don't even mean readers. I mean like agents, managers, editors, like... (laughs) There's there is this sense of like you are performing or something, but I so I wrote in like almost like a flurry. I wrote um, the a draft of Mallory, right? And then I rewrote it, and then I rewrote it again, and I sent it out. I got notes, rewrote it again, and then I got a line at it, tons of notes. Like I mean, if, I uh, can send you a still shot. It's literally just red, red, red. You know, like most of the books are. But the point is that editor put in all that work, and then I just. At some point, when you've put out this many songs or novels and stories, you can tell when you're like when when you're really thrilling someone, when um, the project has like that dust to it. You can just fucking tell. It doesn't mean that this song sucks. It might even be someone's favorite. But you can just tell the ones that stand out. And I started to feel like, I'm like, this draft is just like, I don't think that it has the dust in it. I think I'm trying to add dust to it. I'm trying to add spice to it rather than it just organically having that. And then we build on that. And I asked the other, I'm like, do you mind if you just throw me the ball again? And I take another swing from scratch. And she was like, no, go ahead. And I was like, well, there's my answer. There's my answer. If she was like, if she was like, not that I was testing her, but she was like, "Um, no, 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 no. We're so close. Then I'd be like, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. But she was like, no, go ahead. And I'm like, all right. So now I am almost 200 pages deep into that entirely doing it from scratch wow. again and it's phenomenal ah,
2: and, okay.
1: and I've been and I've been sending it to her piecemeal and the manager and everyone and I feel like it's just it, it was a bold move on my part I, it was because you, you're already four drafts deep into this and you wanted you know it was a bold move it was freaky I felt like I was standing on a tightrope and it is totally freaking working
2: <sighs> nice
1: yeah nice. but I'm not telling it <laughs> Still, probably got like a third of it to go, or something. Yeah,
2: but you've you've rekindled that fire that you didn't feel was there in the first go round.
1: It, it was it was just like it was, I don't even know how, who knows, right? Like why why did you have the song the why did you have it in you that day and not that day? Yeah. And it has nothing to do with how much joy or sorrow or pressure or money or not money that you have in your life. It's like some days you have it and some days you don't, and especially. If you only, if it only takes you, um, you know, let's say a month to write the rough draft, right? Well, that window of where you're at is pretty small. And so I'm sure you, um, have also had months, you know, maybe even a year where like, you, you know, like you just didn't have your best stuff or something. And then all of a sudden you're back and you're rolling. Now you're in a new phase and you're rolling again. So sometimes that sort of hurried, I don't know if hurried is the right word, but that that sort of manic rough draft thing that I do can be dangerous because if they are snapshots of you as an artist growing, well, what if one of some of the snapshots are going to be you, not at like maybe between
2: phases, In the trough or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And I think that that initial draft was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. But now, now it's good again.
2: Yeah. This might seem like an oddball question, but I feel like, uh, I feel like you're a good person. Well, Mike, the only person to answer it. Why Michigan? For for anything? I mean, yeah, I'm sure you're the kind of guy. Now, you and Allison could probably decide to live anywhere you want. We could. So why could, Michigan?
1: But no, but uh, I guess you could kind of argue that we. And, and I'm I'm not trying to sound like I'm running for office or something. But <laughs> you could argue that we could have done that before even Burnback stopped. Right. We don't have any kids. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm writing books all the time and trying to like, get by that way, the band and this and that. Um <laughs> I guess the, the, the easiest answer would be um family and friends, for uh, real. Yeah. But there's a lot more than just that. Like um usually typically most summers Allison and I go to um I don't want to say all the Great Lakes, but like we go to Lake Michigan. We go up to Lake Superior, where her family lives. We're doing things over here with well, uh, here's Michigan. We do things over here with like friends. This is like literally. Have you ever been over here?
2: That's like the far western side of UP. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't been that far west, dude. Michigan.
1: It's for now, like Grand Rapids, but beyond Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. like thirty minutes. Dude, it's gorgeous. Meaning, this is a gorgeous place. Um, our friends and family are here, and then maybe. Maybe the biggest answer is like if it's working, don't screw with it,
0: yeah,
1: you know it, like it's like like you're writing book you've been writing books at this like insane pace and but then my friend told me recently he's like, I think that you've transcended setting you wrote a bunch of books in a van, you wrote books uh you know by freehand um you wrote one up north you wrote you wrote a bunch here like why not go to LA for a season? Why not? why not go or out of the country? I mean right now it sounds like a good idea why not like why not like like spend like a year somewhere else or something like that. And Alison and I do talk about that. But I don't know. It's like I'm working on Mallory now and the second I'm done, I wrote a book when I turned in here I want to show you. So when I turned in that last draft of the well the last rewrite of that initial round of Mallory, I knew that there was going to be like 3 weeks or something till I got the notes back. So I wrote another book. <laughs> uh-huh. Igorov. I absolutely love this novel. And then about exactly when I was done, right around then, maybe it was I got the notes a few days before, was when I got all the notes from Mallory. And I think Igorov actually helped me because I did feel the dust with this one. And I did feel the juice with this one. And it struck me like I don't think you felt it with that with that last one. So then I think this one actually put me over the edge to say that to them. Point being, there's always something you know, there's always something going on. When are you going to like pack up and move to Los Angeles? You know what I mean? Like you have meetings and, and family stuff. My dad's birthday is uh, I'm going on Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, like and then uh, just recently, I, I don't know if you saw online, but uh, one of my best friends died. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that sorry, online. Sorry, man. Thank you. Um, and like we were here. Thank God we were here for that. We were actually yeah. supposed to go to New York the next day, and we ended up staying. And, you, and I was with all these friends during that week, right? I don't know, man. If I was in San Francisco or L.A. doing that, I would have flown in, of course, for that. But there's something about being here for that, too. And that, like, you know, uh, another friend came in and came over to our house. And then um, a, another friend might be doing that today or tomorrow. And that's, there's something nice about that. Also, I'll tell you one more thing. You know Doug Murano?
2: Uh no, not familiar.
1: So, so he he's like an editor of like anthologies. Okay. Um he I could show you I'll show you in a second, but he did um gutted. He did he did a few that I've been in and just he's just one oh, of yeah, them. I know gutted, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me just grab hold on because Oh, that's <laughs> not Doug, that's Edgar Allen Poe. <laughs> that's
2: Poe, that's not Doug.
1: Right. <laughs> so yeah, you can't walk anywhere in here without bumping into something. <laughs> um he did this one as well, behold. Yep. And so we, Doug was at Scares That Care in Richmond. He's from South Dakota. He has four kids. Him and his wife have four kids. They drove from South Dakota to 60 miles south of Richmond. We were at this awesome festival convention. It was so, so good, dude. And then Doug drove back. Well, I told him he was, he's leaving a day or two after me. Oh, we flew back is what it is. And I told him, like, hey, I'm actually on your, I'm about halfway between Richmond and South Dakota, like, come to our house. He did. He brought his four kids, his wife, they spent the night. We had this incredible night together. And I did feel like something of, like, he had never been to Michigan. And I did feel like something of, like, some sort of ambassador, some sort of, like, (laughs) welcome to Michigan. This is, like, look how freaking pretty this is and how amazing. And, And, you know, we all know that every state has its own natural wonder and all that. But... This is the one that I know or something, and it felt good to, like, play host to that. And I think Jonathan Jans is coming uh, – what is today? The 10th. I think he's coming up to to my house uh, in two weeks because I'm hosting sort of a um, – it's like a lecture of this uh, Bigfoot UFO expert guy. And I invited him, and he said he was coming. He lives in Indiana, and I'm like, well, come on up. So I And I like that. I like playing, like, host in Michigan or something like that. I get it. Yeah, yeah,
2: I get it. I mean, I, I'm in, I've i been in Ohio for 14 years now, and uh, it's the same vibe. Where right, were you know? before that? Uh, well, I lived in uh, – I grew up in Pittsburgh, but I lived in outside of New York and New Jersey for a while. I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for a while. Oh, uh, I've sweet. been here for like 12 or 14 years, going on 14 years. So I get the whole Midwestern thing too. Like yeah. it, there, there's
1: something kind of
2: like homespun, kind of wholesome about oh. it.
1: You know? There is, and then I wonder, like, I lived in New York for a minute, and I, and I loved it. I don't think I'd ever want to move back there again. I Just because, just like, I did it or something, it was not, like, intrinsically me. Now, do I want to, like, see, like, it doesn't have to be L.A., but what about mid-California or something like that? Like, do I want to see that? Yeah, I want to see that, too. But do I want to move out there forever? I don't know. So, so Alice and I, and a lot of people talk this way, but, like, how about spend a season there? Go to L.A. and write a novel. One novel. Spend four months. See what happens. It'd probably be like the most like the wildest experience of my life. Probably amazing. Yeah, and you can always come home. You can always come home. <laughs> and <always> <laughs> yeah, we own this house. This is the first house I've ever uh, owned in my life. Nice. Yeah. So, so you have a home.
2: Not only do you have a house, but you have a home.
1: Yeah, it really does feel different, man. Do you own your house. Yeah. Yeah, it really does feel different. It's like a like the garage door broke, and we uh, Allison called this dude, and he came and fixed. It. We're like, well, we did it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're homeowners. <laughs> oh, yeah. sweet man. Well, listen, I got, um, uh, I got sort of one more question that kind of might kind of wrap us up a little bit. Um, and this is something I like to ask a lot of the guests on the show. But what is your general approach to the business of writing? I mean, setting the craft aside, what what is sort of your your philosophy on on being a business person in a creative art?
1: Okay, I think I need a little more. Like, so do you mean like? <laughs> do you mean like? Like in terms of like who to trust or where to get your stories published, like that kind of thing. Like, what what do you mean?
2: Well, I mean, you know, what what is your uh, are are you are you a conservative businessman? Do you take risks? Do you uh, you know? Uh, are, what when opportunity rises, how do you decide which ones to take, which ones to say okay, no to?
1: Great way of explaining it. Um, so Ryan and I did something really bizarre recently, and I and I felt like this was this is after the craft stage, as you say. Recently we were asked by um we had a meeting, uh I whatever, I'll just say it's a TV show about short it wasn't creep show, but about short um story sort of format. And I sent them a list of ideas, right? A list of ideas that might work. But but on that list of ideas, I included like six or seven that I hadn't written yet. The reason this is dangerous or tricky is because if they liked one of those ideas. And ask for it. I would have to boom, like write it, write, rewrite it, and well, oh, uh, let me go through it one more time. We'll have it in three days, right? Okay, and write it from scratch, right? Because they're interested. So when we did that, that 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 didn't happen. That thing that I just said. But what it did open for Ryan and I is like, like why, like why is that um, approach different than any other approach? Why does it have to be? oh, you finished this story six months ago, so that's a, that's really you. But this idea that you have that you hadn't got to yet, that, that's not you. Why isn't that you also? So what we ended up doing was we shopped um, to a company recently, and I have a meeting with this company at 6 o'clock today. We shopped them a rough draft, a rough draft, a book that I wrote in, actually up north um, and that I have not touched one word of. Like, it's a rough draft. We pitched them the idea, they said, "Oh yeah, we'd like to read that." And then we're like, "Wait a minute, what do we do? This isn't a short story. This is a novel." Oh yeah. So and like, I think we just send the rough draft. <laughs> I was like, "Dude, I mean, if, I don't know. I don't know if you know what you know what I mean, man." It's like,
2: yeah, it's, like, it's bare, man. It be
1: the worst. Thing he's ever read by I me in terms of the writing, you know what I mean? Yeah, raw. Like, I was like, "Oh, geez, man!" It's almost like saying, "Like, well, I guess you got to kind of swim naked, dude." I mean, it's like, "Oh, really?" I was in, that wasn't in the plan. And, okay, so we so we sent them the rough draft, and the guy liked it, and he called us, and it struck us in our conversation with him. And I'm leading to the the bit more businessy question, I guess. It struck us in our conversation with him that he wasn't really that concerned with the writing or not. He was concerned with the elements of it. What would would this make a good movie? Yeah. These four characters, this scenario, this. He wasn't like, oh, what a beautiful passage, you know? <laughs> he was like, he was like, or, oh, well, oh, this, this seemed a little rushed. He was worried about the elements of it. And so Ryan and I were like, well, shit, if we were able to s- shop that rough draft, hey, anything goes. Yeah. I have like a crate over here filled with on um, twenty five more of them, and like, like this one that, what, what are we gonna do with rob? Well, guess what? This is now on the table. So I, I think one thing, one businessy side of advice I would give is to not be so precious with it. Like Ryan has another um, um, client who supposedly Ryan tells me will not change one word, he writes screenplays, will not change one word once he turns it in. He's like, that's it? Like, that's it? I'm like, what do you mean that's it? And I think they have found success together, Ryan and this guy. But to me, it's like, anything goes. Anything goes. Uh, you know, uh, Igorov um, is an old man in this. Uh, you think that he, instead of 80, he should be 20? Mm, well, let's try it. Yeah. You know? It's like, all the bones of the story are still there. Let's, let's try it. Let's try this, blah, 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 blah. And I think that rather than being I guess I would say that mine and Ryan's business model is like throw everything against the wall and then something is going to stick. Something's going to make a cool pattern. Someone's going to be interested in that accidental, like, oh my God, like a rough draft, right? And for me, it's not like chaos, although it sounds a bit like that. It's more like just don't be like so precious about like, oh, well, I'm saving this idea for that. Or or this short story was, is supposed to represent this, not what they're talking. Well, Well, maybe... Maybe with one little change, it's still exactly the same story, but now it like works for this anthology or something like that. So I was asked to um, to join a, an anthology about um, like circuses and state fairs and stuff with cemetery dance. And I said, to Al- "And I didn't have time, really." No, I had time, but I, anyway, I didn't. I asked Allison, "Do I have any circus stories?" And she's like, "Dude, you have a whole novel called Dandy." And I was like. I was like, I know, that's a fucking novel. I mean, she's like, okay, well you asked. And I'm like, all right. And so I then I wrote Cemetery Dance. I'm like, would 35,000 words be fine? And they're like, oh, you wanna give us like a novella? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah. So I was like, oh my God. So I squashed Dandy down into, to make it fit for this. Here's this, this could not be a more perfect example of my business model. It, it, I could have turned that down. I could have been like, I don't have that. And then Dandy would be sitting here amongst these other rough drafts, just forever, whatever. And of course, and you know what I'm leading with this now, of course it is better now. It is, it's better now. And that's why I mean by by not being so precious, not being so um, you know, like static, like this is how it has to be, or this is how the story is, or whatever. It's like, hmm, I, it was more important to me at the moment to get Dandy into that book than it was to keep it as a novel. So I was like, all right, we're going to have to lose all those amazing scenes. I'm going through the rough draft. I'm like, Jesus, I could have I got rid of twice as much as I got rid of.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it would have just been a dead project sitting on your shelf, doing nothing.
1: Right, and that's another thing. So um, some of the ideas – God, I almost don't want to say this out loud, but I'm just going to say it. Some of the ideas in this new draft of Mallory were ideas that I was saving for if there was ever a third novel. And then Ryan and I were like talking, and we're like, we love those ideas for the third one, you know, and then it's like, wait, hold on. Why for the, for the imaginary third one, let's use them here. <laughs> yeah. Why save them, right? You're looking for a good idea in this book, but oh, I'm saving those ideas for that. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're going to have like other ideas down the road. And if you don't, then you don't, that's where you, that's where your road went to or something. Right. That's a scary idea. <laughs> Jeez. Like the end of the writer road. is just like nothing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sounds awful, dude. But anyway, so so I I know that, that if Ryan was here, he would he and I wish he was, he would give you a much more um articulate, you know, business minded explanation of of what I'm talking about. But what what it is for us is like anything goes, every idea is is just as good as the other one. There's but it's maybe not right for that guy or that girl, you know, in terms of the editor or agent or whatever. But don't let see this is one of the joys also of having written like 30 novels now is that there isn't just one spotlight. It's not like you have your one book, there's a spotlight on it and, and it's got to be with the right guy or this kind of thing. You got like 30 of them and like I said, a lot of them are really rough, but at least now the attention is like is like like uh, dissipated whatever i dispersed. And so you can like say like, hey, um, Ryan, do you think that this guy would like, you know, a woman, a woman, a window now? And you don't feel bad at all about yeah, that. Yeah, you're not. Like, no, yeah. but it's, that's my baby. That you're like, all right, all right, all right. It's the one
2: in the lockbox that you're putting. Right. Yeah, it's not that, right?
1: I think that that's one of the one of the advantages or something of being a sort of like let's go, let's go writer is that the more you have, it's like I care about them all like deeply, deeply. My God, but there's less offense if one doesn't work or if, or, or if this one was rejected or this or that, cause it's all right. There's other, there's other options. So my advice to anyone listening on the business side would be to be less precious with things, to be open to changing it, um, be more fluid with like, all that really matters is the bone, like root idea of the story. And if you want to get that out in some capacity or another, be like you can be like fluid about that kind of thing all the way from a rough draft to squashing a novel to a novella from making a short story into a whole series, whatever that might be. But I, my advice would be to be open to those things, because here's where this is, was all leading. When you hear of a lead or an opening or a submission process or whatever, and you might think, oh, I don't have anything that fits that. But you might. <laughs> if, one, if you're
2: oh. willing to take what you have and re-examine it you might
1: yes exactly you might and, and that dandy is the perfect example I see this opportunity arise and I'm like I could have been like oh yeah I don't have one of those guys instead I'm like uh uh <laughs> how about you know 150 pages and they said yes I mean that but that's on them if they said no I don't know I probably would have thought of something maybe I'll even shrink it more I don't know what I would have thought of at that point but that, that's sort of my model.
2: All right. So that was Josh Mallerman. Uh, what are your initial thoughts, J.D.? <laughs> I feel like I, I
3: just ran you know, a marathon or something listening <laughs> to him, but um, a, a lot of cool takeaways from that. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I always tell people is you know, when you write a book, you, know, you can't stand on a soapbox and say, this is my artistic endeavor and, and I'm not going to change a single word of it um, because I've run into the auth- you know, authors that are like that. And Josh understands that a book is a product. Um, you know that a lot of people, you know, will have their hands on and need to sell and need to market. Um, and you know what he said about um, you know, Mallory and being able to put it aside and and start over. You know, a lot of authors I don't think would be able to do that, and and they wouldn't be able to do it as as well as he did. You know, he you know he and he, he read the cues. I mean, his his editor sent it back to him with all these red lines in there, and and you know he he said, well, if I were to start over, would you know? And, and she was on board with it, like she didn't push back, and he's like, okay that's what I'm doing. And, and I'm sure that the draft that he's working on now is probably phenomenal. Um, Cause he's, you know, I, I haven't talked to him at length about it, but I'm guessing that he's, he's more or less a pantser and he's kind of feeling his way around. So, you know, even though he probably wrote, you know, hundreds of you know, pages of, of, of text, you know, he was probably feeling his way around that story. So now being able to put all that aside and just take the best parts, you know, and put it back together again, um, it, it's going to be a, a strong novel. Um, and the other thing that I took away from it is, you know, it, a lot of ways it makes me wonder whether Josh should be writing books, you know, because you know he, he comes up with these ideas and they're really good. And he's got so many of them, <laughs> you know, and the amount of time that he puts into a novel, you know, beyond the first draft, you know, creating second, third, fourth, fifth draft and all these different things. You know, how many other ideas would he be able to generate in that same amount of time? And like he brought up that he was, you know, he's, he's got a, a project, a first draft that looks like it, it could possibly get optioned or go into development. Um You know, so I'm really curious to see where he's going to be like, you know, 10 years from now, you know, whether he's going to be like the idea man behind a film production company, you know, creating these stories and the novels would become secondary Um, because I could see him falling into that role is the way his mind works is very visual. You know, it, it, it really does fit the, you know, film and television, you know, media, medium.
2: Yeah, I was also struck by his thoughts on, you know, not holding back. Uh, I think a lot of times as writers, we feel like we have an idea or a concept and, and maybe we're not ready or, or we're not uh, experienced enough to tackle it. And whereas Josh is saying, man, you, you got to throw your best at every single project. You can't hold things. You can't wait on stuff. And uh, I, I just felt like that was a really great piece of advice.
3: Yeah, well, nobody's gonna, you know, come up and squeeze it out of you. You know, they're not gonna say, well, you know, that it's pretty good, but I'm pretty sure you've got something better in you. You know, they're not gonna give you a little pat on the back and give you an attaboy and send you back into that room. You've, you've got one shot to get in front of a lot of these people, and you've got to put your, your best out there. And, and a lot of times, the best work is when you're uncomfortable. You know, you put something down on paper, and it's something that you, you know, didn't want to write or you didn't want to share, or something about it. You know, just makes it feel like you're standing on the edge of a cliff. That that's when you know that it's right.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of great wisdom in that interview. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, Josh is just such a great guy, and it was so much, it was so much fun to, uh, to listen to him on that. So that was great. Yeah, I can't,
3: can't wait to read Mallory and can't wait to see what he comes up with next. Yeah,
2: yeah. Speaking of next, we have our next episode coming up next week, and that will be with Alma Katsu, uh, a friend of yours. Yeah, maybe kind of tease the, the listeners with a, a little bit about her. Yeah, almost a lot of fun. I, I met her at Thriller
3: Fest. Um, I guess a couple of years ago now, um, and and she's very deceptive. Like she's not what you would expect because she's about three foot nothing. She's really <laughs> short. Uh, okay, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, but but she she worked in the intelligence um, you know world, and and you know she was involved in some pretty heady stuff. And like being able to sit down and talk to her about those kind of things, which she's allowed to talk about, um, is is a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, she's going to be a fantastic interview. I can't wait.
2: Yeah, should be great. So make sure everyone you tune in. If you want to leave us some comments on the, the website, writersincpodcast.com, we'll definitely check those out. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.